Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. A little over two years ago, uh, in Sydney, Australia, a guy named Juan Mann, and that is his real name, Juan Mann, um, decided to spend one day a week at the mall downtown Sydney giving out free hugs. And uh, as the story goes, evidently his, mo- his grandmother had passed away. He was caring for his blind grandfather, and, and it was just kind of getting to him and, and just overwhelming. He was pretty depressed, pretty discouraged, feeling pretty down. He decided he was going to do something to try and change things just a little bit if he could. And so what he decided to do was he printed out a sign that said free hugs, went downtown Sydney, Australia, held up the sign, and tried to give out free hugs. And it's a real interesting story, and it's actually got started uh, documented um, by a local rock band. They put a tune to it, and they put it up on YouTube, and this is what it looks like. Take a look. I don't mind, I don't care. is um, that, yeah, the, the, actually the city council shut him down because he didn't have liability insurance. They're afraid people might get hurt getting hugs. I don't know. Um, but what's really cool is that thing's been up on the web now for uh, maybe a little over a year, I guess. And um, it's approaching 25 million hits watching it, just watching the video. And what's happened is it's kind of started a whole phenomenon. There's like, now there's free hugs um, Korea, free hugs, uh, Philippines, it's all over the world now. And if you go on YouTube, you look up free hugs, there's just going to be a raft of videos of people giving out free hugs. It's pretty a cool deal, you know, just because everybody could use a hug. Everybody could use a hug once in a while because hugs are kind of, they're a tangible expression of, of support and of comfort and, and of encouragement. And we all get discouraged. We all go through times of discouragement. It's like, the thing is, what he's done is he's tapped in on something that God knew a long, long time ago. <laughs> and God established a place and a people where we could have that kind of encouragement, that, God, that kind of support. He calls it the church. It's really at the heart of God's design for the church that we were never intended to live this Christian life on our own. We were meant to live it in community. It's what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks in this whole series on sea harmony and looking at how do you build community. When it comes down to it, what part do I play? What part do you play when it comes to building community? Because that's God's design. That is God's design. Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. And as we've looked at it the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the importance of committing ourselves to each other and, and, and of being authentic and genuine with each other and forgiving and reconciling with each other. And this morning, I want to talk about the fourth element in all this. It's called encouragement. And it's a vital, vital part of the church community. Paul wrote about it a little bit later in the letter to the Ephesian church. He wrote chapter 4. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He's talking about what it takes 
to build a community of encouragement. There's a couple of, four really key elements to all of this. And sometimes we read these kinds of things in the Bible. It's like a list of, you know, four or five. You know, if it's more than four things, we just kind of just shoot right through it. But there's some really important things that he's trying to get across here. And they're, they're important, there are elements that are so important for this whole idea of encouragement. So we're going to look at them together this morning. And I'm going to ask you if you would take out your outline, because on the bottom of each point, there's a place for you to evaluate yourself. So we're going to talk about each of these, then I'm going to give you a chance to kind of check off. How are you doing in each one of these? Four different elements. They're not all of them, but there's four that are absolutely essential when it comes to living a life of encouragement. And the first element he talks about is humility. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble. Now, humility is a tough one, okay? It really is. And it's really a tough one to evaluate because it's one of those things that the minute you think you've achieved it, you've lost it. (laughs) You know, the minute you get to the point, you go, yeah, I'm pretty humble. No, you're not. That's just how it works. So it's really, really tough. Um, So let me give you kind of a working definition this morning of what we're talking about in this context. When we're talking about humility, I I read this definition. It really helped me a lot. Humility is not necessarily thinking less of yourself. It is learning to think of yourself less. (laughs) That makes sense? It's not necessarily thinking less of myself. It is learning to think of myself less often. In other words, it's living with an awareness of those around me, an awareness of others. Let me give you an illustration of this, because for years I coached my kids in soccer, both of them, my son and my daughter. Um, I coached them in the house league and then moved up to the traveling teams, the competitive leagues, and um, putting together a team, when you move up to the competitive, the traveling leagues, it's, 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 the competition goes up way, way uh, just the bar gets raised immensely. And so when we picked, when I chose up the team for, for my son's team particularly, you know, I looked for some of the kids with some of the best skills that were in the house league to put this traveling team together. And I picked one kid who had great ball handling skills. Just incredible, great dribbler, could dribble circles around anybody. I thought, this is the guy I want on my team. Here was the problem. He didn't know how to pass. And that was my biggest thing. I won't give you his name because he's grown up to be a fine, upstanding young man. So I don't want to embarrass him. But, but I would just constantly from the sidelines say, pass the ball. We talk about it at halftime at the beginning of the game. Okay, today you got to pass the ball. Because if you know anything about soccer, that is the key to the game. It's why, by the way, Americans don't like soccer. Because they think it's just a boring game where they kick the ball around back and forth. They don't understand. The whole idea of opening up the opportunity to score is by, by spreading the ball around. And the biggest problem with this player, great ball handling skills, great dribbler, great soccer player, except he was completely oblivious to the rest of his team. (laughs) And so, you know, it doesn't take much for that team to figure out, okay, if we're going to stop him, we just got to key on this one guy. Put 11 guys around him. That's the end of the game because he doesn't pass the ball to anybody else. And there's no way he's going to dribble through 11 other players. He wasn't very humble. Because humility has to do with an awareness that there are other people in the game. There's other people that I can pass the ball to. There's other people that I can be available to. And that's really at the heart of humility. Humility is living with an awareness of the lives of those around me. Because God didn't intend for us to do this Christian life on our own. That's why throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, you see things like Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. Therefore, he says, encourage one another and build each other up. Because that's our job. To be aware of those around us. 
of their hurts, of their failures, of their weaknesses, as we are aware of our own hurts and failures and weaknesses. Because that's how encouragement happens. You cannot encourage somebody if you come at them with a sense of superiority <laughs> or if you walk around with, this, with an aloofness to the, those around you. You just can't do it. It takes humility. Encouragement is for the benefit of somebody else, not for yourself. And so it requires humility. And that, by the way, is why Jesus' ministry was so powerful. In the three years that Jesus spent on this earth, his ministry was so incredibly powerful simply because he noticed people. He paid attention to those who were hurting, to those who everybody else looked past. He would stop and talk with them. And he would reach out and touch them. When his disciples thought Jesus didn't have time for the kids because parents were bringing their kids for him to bless them, and they said he didn't have time for little children. Good timing, perfect timing. (laughs) Jesus doesn't have time for little children. We planned that. That was all rehearsed. No. And they would say, Jesus doesn't have time for it. He's got, he's got more important things to do. And Jesus would stop his disciples and say, no, let the little children come. When people would look past those who were down and out, Jesus would stop and engage in a conversation. It's what made his ministry so powerful. And it's what makes ours powerful as well. Jesus noticed people that most other people overlooked. And when he came to the end of his ministry and he commissioned his followers, one of the things he told them is, he says, I'm going away, but, but he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Some translations are encourager. Some say comforter. Because it's one of those words that's really kind of tough to, to really translate into English. But he says, I will ask the Father to send you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The word literally translated would be someone called alongside you. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that Jesus called these followers to do life with him. He said, now I am leaving, but I'm going to send another just like me who will come alongside you. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the lives of his people that encouragement happens. It's the work of God's Holy Spirit in your own life. It is the work of God's Holy Spirit through your life to somebody else that brings encouragement. And it starts with humility. So let me ask you this morning, a little evaluation there on a scale of one to nine. Put it there on the poor side, number one. On the excellent side, number nine. Put an X there on that line, on that continuum. Where do you think you fit? And by the way, if you put excellent, okay, you flunked this one. Okay, And if you're not sure... You know, this is one to go home and have a conversation over lunch with your husband or your wife because they'll be sure to let you know where you stand, okay? But, but do this. Really, some of you aren't taking me seriously. Get out your papers. Put an X on the paper. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But you're never going to learn this unless you're going to be honest with yourself. So where would you say you fit? When it comes to your awareness of the people around you, how good are you at that? How aware are you? Second element is Gentleness. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Now, gentleness has to do with quiet strength, okay? It's, it's an inner strength, but not having to just jump in and fix or jump in and do something about it, okay? It, it's the ability to know what the right thing to do is and what the right word is to say at the right time. It's a quiet strength. It's kind of the, you know, the cliche, you know, be there for you. That's, that's really what's what this is all about. Now, in our home, um, 
both my wife and I work, and, and sometimes she's got stuff going on at work, you know, and things get a little hectic or, you know, issues and stuff going on. She'll come home at the dinner table. We talk about our days, and she says what's going on. And, of course, the first thing I do is I say, well, what you, know, you know what you need to do. You know, and then I would give her all the advice, you know. And because that's, that's what I do. I fix things. You know, it's, it's, I think all us guys, we're kind of in that same boat, you know. And, and I'm starting to clue into this because every once in a while, Betty says, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. That's gentleness, okay? It's a quiet strength. Sometimes the most encouraging thing you can do is just be a listening ear. You would be surprised how much encouragement because it validates somebody else's personhood and their own feelings just to listen to them. I had a firsthand experience with this this week. Um, went in and got my teeth cleaned because it's that you know, six-month checkup kind of deal. So I went in to Dr. Uh, Dennis's office. Never had this um, hygienist before. She's been there, I guess, for a while, but I've never had her before. So um, I went to sit down in the chair and she looked and she said, oh, that's a nice bracelet you have. And I said, that's not a bracelet. No, it's, uh, it's, it's a prayer reminder because I got it in Uganda. I went on a mission to Uganda and, and I brought it back because it's to remind me to pray for the kids in Uganda. And she said, oh, that's cool. So you went on a mission. Well, what, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. She goes, really? You're a pastor? So she was really interested. So she, you know, I sat down, opened up, say, ah, you know, the whole thing. She starts cleaning my teeth. She is going through a really, really difficult time in her life and in her family. And she found out I'm a pastor and she's got me in a chair for a half hour. <laughs> And she starts unburdening herself and all the stuff that she's dealing with. And I'm sitting in there, chair, and I'm going, oh, oh, I you know, because, you know, your mouth is full of all this stuff, and, you know, they only give you a chance to spit. That's about all you get a chance. So, you know, that's all I could do. I'm just sitting there going, oh, oh, you know. And at the end of the half hour cleaning, she says, wow, you've been such a help. Thank you very much. <laughs> Not a problem, it's my job, you know. I'm a professional at this. But just to have somebody that would listen. And and, and trust me on this. It can be such an encouragement to just be a listening ear. Sometimes you don't need to come up with answers. You don't need to fix things. You just need to listen. That's why James wrote, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. In fact, if we were going to have a memory verse for the day, that would be it. In fact, let's say it all together, okay? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Boy, if you could just memorize that one and put it into practice, probably solve 90% of our problems. (laughs) Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Now, sometimes you do need to speak, and so gentleness has to do with saying the right thing at the right time. It's knowing when to shut up and when to say something. And when it's time to say something, to say the right thing. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. What does it take to say words of encouragement? The words need to be good and helpful. There's a lot of people giving helpful advice, but it's not very good. And it's possible to say a lot of good things that are not particularly helpful. Anybody gone through a real world difficult time and have someone, you know, like a Christian friend come up and they're so helpful with these, you know, pious platitude words and just spout this stuff off like, you know, that's good stuff, but it doesn't help me right now at all. Good and helpful. 
That's what it takes to be an encouragement. And it means waiting for the right time to say the right words. Proverbs 12, 18. Thoughtless words cut like a sword, but the tongue of wise people brings healing. And that's what encouragement is about, bringing healing. It's the right words at the right time. When I was five years old in kindergarten, I dislocated my arm because we were in the playground and, you know, they always say one at a time on the slide, but of course we were boys in kindergarten and we didn't listen to anything the teacher said, so we tried to do a train coming down and I ended up on the caboose over the edge. And uh, so, you know, mom came, picked me up, took me to the hospital and, you know, went with the doctor and I'm crying, I'm sobbing, my arm's in pain, it's all dislocated, turned all around, bending the way it's not supposed to and all of that. And I'm crying and the doctor came in. It's one of those childhood memories that just kind of stick with you because the doctor was so gentle. He said, well, tell me what happened. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> you know, and, and he's, oh, well, what is, you know, where does it hurt? And he's, and he's kind of feeling around in the joints and following down my arm and just so gentle. And I'm telling him all that's going on and why it happened. And he said, where does it, does it hurt? And then he went, boom, popped right into place. And I went, ah! And then it felt good. Now, that is a picture of gentleness. Because I was all tense and I was all, you know, out of shape and, and you know my muscles weren't everything was out and he just needed to calm me down so that the it would pop back into place and, and that's really a good picture of gentleness it's being able to listen being able to to, to 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 comfort and to you know be there and then at the right moment say the right thing so let me ask you this morning here's another chance to evaluate yourself when it comes to this idea of gentleness how sensitive are you with your words How discerning are you at saying the right words at the right time? Just kind of rate yourself there on that little scale. It's the second element when it comes to encouragement. Third element has to do with patience. Um, He goes on, he says, be completely humble and gentle. And he says, be patient. Because sometimes encouragement takes more than just a few words. Sometimes encouragement is something that you got to kind of hang with somebody over the long haul. In fact, the King James Version translation, the word is long-suffering, and that's pretty descriptive of what patience really is all about. It's sticking with somebody over the long haul because a lot of difficulties in life are not easily and quickly resolved. A lot of the struggles in life go on for a period of time. And this idea of patience is, is hanging with somebody over the long haul. And sometimes I think we can be really guilty of, of thinking of encouragement much more like fast food, you know, like in and out burger. Come through, you know, pay your dollars. Here's, here's my word of encouragement. Now, come on, meet, there's people behind you. Keep moving it through, you know. Sometimes people need someone who will walk with them through those dark valleys in life. And that's what patience is all about. Learning to walk with people through the dark valleys. Sometimes we're, we're quick and, 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 and just short with people simply because we don't know what to say. There's an awkwardness about it or, or, or a powerlessness about it. We don't know what we could do, what we, would sh- what we should, should say, so we just kind of, you know, move them along and just say, well, I'll pray for you, and then we forget. Sometimes encouragement, sticking with somebody through that whole dark valley, learning to walk with them, Paul talks a little bit bit more. He says, From Christ, the whole body, 
joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now we've talked often around here about the idea of the the church as being a body and each has a contributing um, part to it. And we talk about it usually in terms of of ministry giftings and abilities and contributions and, and that kind of, but there's another aspect to this idea of body ministry in the church. And it has to do with support and encouragement. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, every supporting ligament. You know what ligaments do, by the way, in the body? They're they're fibrous bands of connected tissue. And they they have some very, very important functions. They connect bone to bone or bone to cartilage. And and what they do is they they provide the support for the skeletal system so you can stand. If you didn't have the ligaments, you wouldn't be able to stand. It's what keeps things in their places. And so it has to do with support, but it also does something else. The ligaments also help prevent hyperextension of the joints. Because your body is designed for the joints in your body to move a certain direction and not another one. (laughs) And what the ligaments do is they hold the joints together so that they operate the way they're supposed to. And so part of the idea of, of ligaments is to keep from overextending, hyperextending the joints in your body. And there's actually a third part to them. In, in the spinal cord, in the spinal column, the ligaments not only provide the structure and the help and the support uh, and, and keeping from um, hyperextension, but they also provide a, a protective sheath around the spinal cord so the nerves do not get damaged. And that is a beautiful picture of this whole idea of patience. That we are together to be supporting ligaments for each other so that nobody gets bent beyond the point of their own endurance to keep each other from hyperextending and to protect the nerve bundle that allows the body to function. Wrote to the Corinthian church, Paul wrote this, in the body its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. It's just standing strong for each other. And sometimes that involves praying and supporting each other in prayer before God, saying you'll pray for somebody and then actually doing it, you know? Sometimes it might be very practical help because they're in a point of stress in their life that you could just maybe take one of the things off their plate so it's one less thing they could have to worry about so they could concentrate on the thing that's right in front of them right now. It could be very practical kind of stuff. It could be prayer support. There's all kinds of ways. But the idea behind all of it is sticking with somebody over the long haul to come alongside and to stay alongside. That's why Paul wrote, be kind and compassionate to one another. That's what it's, kindness and compassion. So, let me ask you, evaluate yourself on this one. When it comes to patience, how good are you at hanging with people? How good are you at hanging in there over the long haul? Because that too is a key element when it comes to encouragement. And the last one is loyalty. He says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now this is kind of, this is like patience to the nth degree. Okay, this is patience plus, above and beyond patience kind of deal. And what it has to do with is contending for each other. It, it's an intentionality to it. There's, a, there's an intensity to it. 
Um, it's why Paul continues to talk about it. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. If I could put it in a sentence, it's this. It is not giving up on someone who has given up on themselves. That's what loyalty is all about. That's what bearing with one another is all about. It's encouragement for those who have no courage left. Encouragement that feels for those who feel like they have been a failure and there's no hope. And the most poignant picture I have of this in scripture, the one that I just, I love it. It's a great story. And it has to do with Jesus and Peter. It's recorded in the very last chapter in the Gospel of John. And if you're not familiar with the story, Jesus tells his disciples what's about to happen before his arrest and, and uh, death and crucifixion and resurrection. Before all, he tells them what's going to happen. And they're together on the last night that they spend together. And Jesus actually turns to Peter and says, you know what? Before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, no, I'm not. I would never do that. Lord, I would die with you. I would, you know, I would, I would never let that happen. And, but he does it. <laughs> he does it. And, and he messes up. And sure enough, he, he, Jesus gets arrested. He follows, kind of stays behind, stands around the campfire outside the, the, where the meeting's going on. And um, one of the people also there around that fire comes up and says, oh, you're one of his followers. I saw you with him. You speak the same language. No, 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 it wasn't me. It wasn't. Three times he denies it. Jesus is convicted, sent off in a miscarriage of justice to be executed, crucified, dies on the cross, buried, three days later, resurrected, reappears to all of his followers. Everybody's excited. Everybody, Jesus is back. Things are good. You know, everybody's forgiven. It's all good. And then in the very last chapter, chapter 21 of John's gospel, it begins off with Peter saying, I'm going fishing. Now, understand what that sentence means. You see, Peter was being groomed by Jesus as one of his followers to continue to take this message to the world. And, and Jesus dies, and he's buried, and he's resurrected, and it's all really, really good, except that he's still feeling like a failure. And so the only thing he can think of is to go back to what I used to do. He was a fisherman. And so in that one sentence, he is in essence saying, there's really no future for me here. I mean, it's great Jesus is resurrected. It's great he's come back to life. It's great everything's good. But you know what? There's no future for me. I'm going fishing. And he does. And good for the rest of the disciples. They don't let him go alone. They go with him. And they fish all night and they come back to shore and Jesus has prepared a campfire on the beach. And he cooks them breakfast. And they're sitting around this campfire and it's like it is a reenactment of what just happened three days ago, four days ago. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And he asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Peter is hurt by this. But he says, Lord, you know all things. You know me through and through. You know that I love you. Three times, Peter had denied Jesus around a campfire. In a reenactment of that, Jesus has set the stage and three times he gives, Jesus, gives Peter the chance to reaffirm his love for him. And the thing that he does in each one of those declarations, every time Peter says, Lord, you know I love you, Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Watch out for my flock. And what Jesus is doing in that moment is he is reinstating Peter 
to the calling that he had put on his life years ago. And he's saying to Peter, you may have given up on yourself, but I haven't. You still have a work to do for me. Feed my sheep, care for my lambs, watch over my flock. And that is a picture of this kind of loyalty. It's the encouragement for somebody who maybe feels like they are beyond hope, that there is no future for them, that they've blown it so bad, there's not a chance. And it's going to them and saying, don't give up. Don't give up on yourself because God has not given up on you. Ephesians 5.2 says, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And that is that loyalty of encouragement. It is encouragement for those who have no courage left. It is what was modeled by Christ, not letting anybody give up on themselves. So let me ask you, when it comes to that kind of encouragement, how would you rate yourself on that scale? Put an X there. How good are you at not letting people give up on themselves, of seeking them out and reinstating them. Because here's the deal. That's God's desire for his church. That's his design for his church. That is his design for us, you and me. And imagine, just imagine a church like that a church where people are committed to each other and won't give up on each other, who will be authentic and genuine and work through the difficulties that sometimes come up when you're part of a group of people, and to forgive one another and to encourage each other to the nth degree. Imagine a church like that. I think it's a kind of church that people would look at from the outside and say, I don't believe what they believe. I don't understand what it's all about, but boy, I could sure use a group of people like that in my life. I think it's the kind of church that God wants. I think it's the kind of church he wants for us. But here's the deal. That doesn't happen because a preacher gets up and talks about it for 25, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. That only happens if each, each and every one of us honestly evaluate ourselves and say, where do I need to improve? And then make the commitment to say, I'm going to do that because I want to be that kind of person and I want to be a part of that kind of church. Do you bow your heads with me? Paul wrote to the Ephesian church that God wants to be able to point to us in all future ages as examples of his incredible wealth and grace and kindness. And that comes down to each and every one of us. So this morning, understand, encouragement can run the gamut. It can, it can be a hug. It can be a word rightly spoken. It could be just hanging with somebody. It could be hanging tough over the long haul. But which one of those could you use some improvement on? Humility? Living with a greater awareness of the lives around you? Or maybe it's gentleness, just learning for the right word at the right time. Maybe it has to do with patience, hanging with somebody over the long haul, or even more so this loyalty idea of not giving up on someone who's ready to give up on themselves. Where could you improve? Because the way to grow in these things is to put them into practice. So another question this morning for you is, who in your life 
could use a little encouragement today? And what could you do today to bring it to them? And make a commitment to say, I will do that. I'll do that. And if you're here this morning, and you're here because you're ready to give up on yourself, and you think, there's really no hope for me, I want you to hear this morning, God has not given up on you. Christ gave himself up for you to forgive you, to restore you, to renew your life. And maybe this morning, your step is to trust him and let him be an encouragement to you. I don't know what God's doing in your life, but whatever the spirit of God is speaking to your heart, say yes. Make a decision and follow through on it this week. Lord, thank you for not giving up on us. With all of our faults and frailties, with all of our rebellion, with all of our mistake-making, you never gave up on us. You loved us. Stayed loyal to us. And you continue to this day. May we learn to be expressions of that kind of love and encouragement to one another. As we give you our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing this song in closing. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.